0: Hey y'all it's me jade and i'm glad to talk to you fun fact the interview you're about to listen to is actually the second interview we did technical issues are wild like that anyhow it was honestly a blessing in disguise because i think this second interview here is a gem Uh, we talk about things like how sarah conceptualizes her works how she develops motifs how she gets involved in art shows and more as always there is an extended version of this interview on our patreon so if you want more, you can go to our website, www.wgcproductions.com. Click Patreon in the navigation bar and check it out. Episode transcripts are also available at our website. All right, I won't keep you long. Episode 205 is coming at you. And remember, this is a WGC production. Currently teaching art to K-8 through students in Lakeland, Sarah Jones is a visual artist working mostly with acrylic paints. She utilizes found objects, photography, drawing, painting, and recycled materials to execute her work. The inspiration is life experience. The motivation is the people she comes in contact with. She finds that using recycled canvases and found surfaces are an essential technique to convey humanity in her work. Objects can hold the worst memories or nostalgia. A painting can make you reminisce or recoil. She aspires to discuss emotions with the visual assistance when words words fail to to do the job. Oh, wow. Hi, Sarah, how are you? (laughs)
1: I am fantastic, thank you.
0: <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm glad you're fantastic. So I'm going to start the interview the way that I typically do. Uh, so this season's all about Tampa, and in that aspect, you sort of know where you're from. But could you sort of tell us where are your roots?
1: My roots, I am Florida born and raised, Lakeland, Florida, specifically. And my roots are here in the community, whether that's Lakeland or our neighboring cities. Mm. And could you
0: share with us in your own words what it is exactly that you do and how you came to be doing that?
1: Okay. Um, My main job is teaching art. I teach kindergarten through eighth grade. I got there, um, I was homeschooled until the ninth grade and I actually applied to go to an art school for high school and didn't get in. So when I went to public school, the art teachers that I had gave me such an amazing experience that I wanted to be able to do that for someone else. And my side gig, my hustle is like commissioned artwork or just painting my own personal pieces to display in galleries, or I'll go vend art at local vending opportunities like markets, or I will go live paint at concerts.
0: Mm. And could you describe exactly what your artistic style is uh, for people who've never seen it before? How would you put it in your own words?
1: I like to describe myself as a, Um, As leaning towards surrealism, I really like color theory, so I usually start with a color that I want to work with. I like to have my subject or subjects on a solid color background, that way the focus is completely on them. And most of my work comes from the idea is something that I'm going through, or current events... And um, I will try to create imagery that I can interpret as what I'm going through or whatever my subject matter is and um, keep it vague enough so that the viewers can come up with their own idea or their own opinion of what they're looking at.
0: Mm. And that sounds like a really thought out sort of philosophy behind your artwork and the paintings that you do. So how exactly did you come to develop this idea of what you do? Like, how did you start and how did you get to the point where you are now?
1: I feel like my parents decided I was going to be an artist before, <laughs> before I did. Oh, <laughs> Like when I was, when I was like three, my dad would um, buy my parents would buy me disposable cameras and go get them developed for me. And my dad had like his own collection of cameras My mom would send me to my grandma's house with like a whole ream of printer paper because I would use up all of their paper (laughs) in their house. And my mom made sure that I was in art classes all growing up. And I really was, um, my medium was photography when I started. And when I got to high school, I was put into a draw paint class That I really hated. I didn't like drawing. And I came home one day and told my dad that I wanted to switch out of the class to do a different art class. Mm -hmm. And that day that I came home, I had also brought home what I was working on in class. And it was, I I always get embarrassed when I say this, but it was a drawing of Ringo Starr from the Beatles. But my dad loved it so much that he was like, you are not allowed to switch out of this class. Um, And I'm glad he said that because from then on, I kind of slowly switched over to painting. I still use a lot of my own photography as a reference for what I'm painting. I actually very much prefer that. Sometimes I will use an image that I get off the internet. But yeah, I... A lot of my my work is um, based off of something I've already taken a picture of, so yeah, that, and a a lot of art classes, a lot of art history classes kind of just got me to the the style that I've established now.
0: Okay, that's interesting. So you say a lot of art history classes and art classes help bring you to this artistic moment in your life. Of course, like people don't stop learning once they're outside of school. so how did you continue learning? Once you were outside of uh, school in that academic environment,
1: well, my friends and my family have really helped me in in my artistry, whether that was inspiration or support. But I started kind of changing my style of of painting based off of the feedback I was getting from other people and what they connected with. And I've also had a lot of friends show me different types of artwork that definitely influenced what I do now. And
0: one thing that you said was you started changing your style based on feedback. As another artist, I know feedback can sometimes, getting feedback can sometimes be an interesting experience because you have a, when you have a lot of stuff coming at you, you have to sift through, yes, I'm going to keep this, no, this isn't relevant to me, so on and so forth. So how does that process work for you?
1: Ooh, at first when I was moving into painting as opposed to photography, it, my work was a lot more about design than actual, like, having a meaning behind it. I think other people got tired of my work, too, because it was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty. That looks good. (laughs) And I was like, I want to, I want to like have a real reaction. I want somebody to connect with the artwork that I'm making and just like how you can really relate to lyrics in a song, um, or seeing like a dance can move you. Um, I was like, I, I want someone to be able to look at my work and have an actual reaction, good or bad. I, I even like it when I can paint something that upsets someone. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: So what works of art specifically do you have a reaction to? What's your sort of inspiration? And how do you see your inspirations feed into the work that you produce?
1: So I have a lot of inspiration from like the surrealist painters, like K-Sage or Dorothea Dorothea Tanning. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, they do very dreamlike environments and same with like, obviously like Dali is a huge inspiration, um, and Rene Magritte is like one of the top for me because he does a lot of what I like to do with a bright background and a very, um, solitary subject in the middle. And then there are a lot of like contemporary artists that I've found recently who have absolutely blown me away. Um, there's one artist, Chelsea Gustafson, who paints, again, a brightly colored background with a very solitary image in the middle. She does paintings of chairs <laughs> usually. <laughs> um, but they are beautiful and they are super realistic. Um, there's another artist Lori Bell Sporowski who paints images of items in in long hallways or in rooms with large art, large arched doorways um, which directly inspired one of my more recent paintings um, and then there's another another girl named Lola Gill who does these insane realistic paintings of like glass that I was like, wow, one day maybe one day I can paint like that. And then there's another really random one because it's not really in like the surrealist style, but there is an artist, um, Emilio Vialba, who has this very like Van Gogh type style of thick application of paint. But everything he paints is um, it's like a sentimental object or just a person casually sitting in a chair but the way the image hits you gives you such a strange sense of like nostalgia yeah that's i really i if i could do only paintings that make people have a familiar feeling like those do oh that that would be the dream
0: and why is that even in your bio you mentioned that uh the word nostalgia popped up so why is nostalgia and it's something that you want to convey to your audience in your work why does that speak to you
1: nostalgia is one of those feelings for me that it could go both ways. I feel like nostalgia usually has like a positive connotation to it but I want someone to feel something familiar when when they look at my artwork. I recently I did a a series of drawings where I I found this giant gallon Ziploc bag of someone's family pictures, like a bunch of Polaroids and and film photos from like the 60s to the 90s. And um, I did a, a series of drawings where I just copied those images perfectly. And I recently met a woman who looked at them and she looked at them for like a solid minute. And then she looked at me and she was crying. And she just said, why am I crying right now? (laughs) And I said, I don't know, but I love it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, I, it's hard to connect with people that you don't know. And I would love for my work to be that bridge between us. Just like we all connect with music, art is another one of those outlets. So it's it's like an honor to be able to have people look at my work and have a connection with them. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, one thing I did want to ask is, since you're also an art teacher and uh, you teach young young kids, well, not young kids, eighth grade's not, it's like 13, 14, but since you teach children art, one thing I did want to ask is, art has a long tradition of looking to the work of children and the work of untrained artists for inspiration for professional artists. Like, for instance, like Rousseau, that was his whole thing. So like, do you, as Sarah Jones, the artist, do you find inspiration in the artwork of your students? And if so, how does that affect uh, your art?
1: So you'd be surprised at how good kids are at describing emotions through drawing so it's great to have a child draw something and them tell you what what it means to them I've had students draw something that you know it's like simple things like this is my family this is my dog um and they're so proud of it um but I've also had them draw things that I'm like well this is this is kind of creepy can can you tell me like what's going on here? What made you feel like you should draw this? Is this something that you see often? And I think the main way that they, they really inspire me is having patience with yourself as an artist. Because when you sit down to draw or paint or or to make something, you already have the finished product in your mind. And 9 times out of the t- out of 10 these kids will get frustrated and want to give up because after 10 minutes of drawing it looks nothing like what they had in mind so their their thoughts automatically go to this is this is bad this is awful this doesn't look like what I thought it would be and I do that all the time with my own work I I hate it and I'm frustrated with it almost up until when I'm finished with it. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because it, you you want it to look like what you had in mind, and it takes a long time and a lot of hard work for it to get there. And not only do you, do you have to talk them through that, um, but also I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation with them that's, You know, there's no such thing as good or bad art. There's only different styles. So you shouldn't look at, you know, your peer next to you and think, oh my gosh, theirs is so much better than mine. So obviously mine must be terrible. So it's taught me, you know, to do that with my own work. I need to be patient with my process. And just because I see uh, another artist with work that blows me away, It doesn't mean mine is not as good, you know? Yeah. So definitely, definitely so many lessons I've learned from these children.
0: Hmm. And I actually want to go back to a sort of idea you glossed on uh, a few questions ago. So you mentioned that some of your inspirations have like a consistent motif in the work, whether it be painting chairs uh, or long hallways or people who capture a sense of nostalgia. So- when looking at your work, your body of work, I also noticed several motifs like obscured figures or pastels or things like this. So I want to ask, how exactly did you go about developing these motifs? What about these things speaks to you? And how do you find a way to keep it fun and fresh in the uh, the paintings that you do?
1: Okay, so I have three motifs, I feel like. There's um, a lot of bones. There are. Um <laughs> No eyes. I I don't paint eyes for some reason. And hands. I do a lot of paintings of hands. Mm -hmm. The bones are usually representative um, of the end of something. For instance, I have a couple paintings with a dog skull in them. And in traditional painting, like mostly during Renaissance times, a dog in a painting is a reference to faithfulness and loyalty and things like that. Um, and I was in a very long relationship for a long time, and it was not a good or healthy relationship. And when I finally got out, the dog school started becoming a recurring, um subject in my paintings. Um, like I have I have one painting of it's on a square canvas it has a, a dog skull, a needle and thread, a cigarette being put out in an ashtray and a piece of eucalyptus so this painting I titled it I um, <laughs> it's a really long title um, it's called. I've gained 10, 10 pounds and other things that I've been thinking about. So this one I did during um, quarantine last year. And it was just kind of things that were weighing on me. The image has what looks like a hallway without walls behind it. Um, and that was kind of representative of like, these feelings aren't just my own. Other people have felt these feelings so it's not like I'm confined in these emotions. There's the dog skull there to uh, represent the relationship that I'm still, I'm still working through the trauma of. The cigarette being put out is um, kind of representative of like fear of addictions. Uh, the eucalyptus leaf, those are, um, that one kind of had like a double meaning to it. Because I think of my family when I think of eucalyptus. And then the, what is it? I believe it's the Greek translation of eucalyptus. I think so. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's Greek. (laughs) So you means good, well, or true. And calypto means cover, conceal, or hide. So it was also kind of like, these are real emotions. They are true emotions that you are hiding, you are trying to conceal. And then the needle and thread are kind of um, kind of meant to suggest repairing something or making something new. So yeah, everything I paint has some sort of symbolism in it. And it's all symbolism that, I mean, it's usually something that is directly related to something going on in my life. Um, But every painting has a specific meaning behind it.
0: Mm. And since so many of these paintings are connected to the events and the emotions of your personal personal life, one, how do you go about finding the sort of emotional stamina to continue the painting once that moment is done or once you've moved on to a different portion of your life and the painting may not be done yet so how do you do that number one and two how do you abstract things from these uh from your experiences and then put them into paintings in a way that as you said earlier is still not vague but is still broad enough for people who don't necessarily have insight on your personal life to look at and connect to and touch into the feelings that you put into the painting
1: Mm. the latter part that you've said there I still focus highly on design so first I'm trying to make the piece eye-catching that's why I want to go for a very realistic look with the painting so I want it to draw you in initially and leaving random objects or patterns in there that's how I leave it up to the interpretation of the viewer. I mean, I I don't speak for everyone's taste in art, but I feel like my paintings are broad enough for that someone so someone could look at them and find their own meaning in them. Um, a dog's skull is relatable, whether or not you know about the meaning behind dogs in Renaissance paintings or. Maybe you've lost your dog recently, or maybe you think skulls are cool. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then, I'm sorry, what was the first part of that question that you yes, asked? Yes, the
0: first part was, since so many of these paintings are taken from your own personal experience and personal life and emotions, what do you do when the moment that you started that painting in or conceptualized the painting in, or the emotion that you started the painting in, has passed? How do you go on to continue that painting once the initial, the initial impetus has, uh, has diminished?
1: I like that question. So working through a painting that has a personal meaning behind it is kind of like a therapy session. So even if I work through whatever it is that I was working through, it's good to have like a a literal physical reminder of what I just went through. Because then I can always remember what I was feeling when I worked through it and use that as kind of like a lesson, you know, this is how you felt then. This is how you felt afterward. If you need to go through that process again, here it is right in front of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's kind of like journaling, if that makes sense.
0: It does make sense. Cause it's still, what's it called? Making the internal things ex- externalizing. That's what it's called.
1: Um, yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so how do you go about selling these paintings if you do sell your paintings of paintings like these rather, but since they are so personal to you, how do you go about marketing them and selling them like they're um, like the commodities rather than memories?
1: It's so hard for me. I don't like to sell my paintings until they are like a year or two years old um, because I, I like to take them around to different galleries or different art shows first before I consider um, selling them, which obviously that's, hard right now um because there aren't very many gallery shows happening. I've been lucky enough to like display in like a local coffee shop and um I have actually I have an art show at the end of this month on the 27th. Congratulations. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's the first art show that I've done in a year. Um, so I'm very very excited about it. I've done different like vending events, and I've done a lot of live painting and stuff like that in the meantime. Um, but a gallery night where the night is all about speaking to the artists about their work, I I live for those types of nights. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't typically like to sell my pieces for a while because they are personal to me. Um, but it's also kind of once I feel like I've fully worked through that part of my life that I was putting onto the canvas, then I feel comfortable parting with it. Like disaster tourism, I only put up for sale this month. So it's been exactly a year and I was like, you know what? I I don't feel like I need to hang on to this one anymore. Hmm,
0: all right. But you also do commissions. And so I want to ask, like, how do you go about securing commissions and things like that? And then what's that process like of working with somebody to develop out their concept? And how does that feel to you as a painter?
1: Mm. So I've come to realize recently that with commissions, it is very easy to overwhelm yourself and stop enjoying the work that you're doing. Because my, my first job is teaching art. That's where I I feel the most reward. Um, and then painting and doing commissions on the side, that's, you know, that's for fun. So when it comes to, um, looking for commissions, I don't really, I prefer to, um, be kind of a word of mouth person. I don't, really advertise that much. I deleted my Facebook. (laughs) I only have an Instagram and um, I really just prefer to um, work with musicians and paint album covers um, and then make paintings for my my friends. But I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to working for people that I don't know. I love networking and I love creating things for for people, especially when it has like some kind of meaning for them. Um, I did a, a drawing uh, of two hands extending towards each other. One of them is handing the other hand three olives on a stick. And that was for um, someone's family member who their husband had passed away. And the meaning behind it was that it was a husband and wife and they used to meet up at a bar before they were married, and the husband um, would always order a drink with three olives in it, but he would give it to the wife. Um, So uh, things like that. its Again, it's connecting with people, so I don't just do it for for people that I know, it's an honor when someone I don't know approaches me and trusts me to make something so intimate for them. And you've
0: also, and this is going to circle back to some stuff that you sort of mentioned throughout the podcast, like they've been little sprinkles, but you mentioned that the painting that your dad saw that kept you in was Bingo Star. <laughs> Disaster Tourism shows a name with a song that you like. Uh, you did two commissions, which is why this is, was not transition, but you did two commissions for two bands. You do co- uh, live painting at concerts. So like you have a very interesting relationship with music in my eyes. So I want to sort of hear about what exactly is the relationship that you feel you have between music and painting and how does that work out for you in your artistic process?
1: They're very closely intertwined. I find it... First of all, making uh, album artwork for bands. I've done, I've done four different album covers so far, um, and I'm mm-hmm. working on another one right now, actually, uh, for somebody I, I met recently. First, I can't paint unless there's music. It, it would be absolute torture to try to sit in a quiet room <laughs> and paint. Mm-hmm. And I grew up with a, a love for music, uh, mostly because of my dad, he showed me like a lot of the classic rock stuff, and then my mom brought in like the really cool, like uh, 80s bands and like Foo Fighters and stuff like that. Um, the really cool ones, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> and my sister is a musician, she's like a very successful musician, she's in like I don't know how many bands she's in. And then she has um, a ton of music on Spotify. If you guys want to look up Emily Jones, now's your chance. Um, oh, but that makes she sense. You did better. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I did bed of glass. Do you know that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, That's awesome. <laughs> Emily, if you're listening to this, I mean, check it out. You're so popular. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, We've always had this unspoken agreement between the two of us, um, that Emily's the musician and I'm the artist. And mm-hmm. and we don't cross into each other's mediums. <laughs> but this is my way of cheating. I advertise myself as the musician's artist. <laughs> and a lot of my work is inspired by music and I, and I need it to work.
0: Oh, a question that I did have was, So about that art show at the end of the month, once again, congratulations, that's dope. But how did you go about securing that show? Like, how did did you go about uh, getting involved and what do you do to prepare for such a thing? And then what do you go into that expecting and and what do you want from it?
1: Mm. Again, right now, it's hard to find an art show, but I'm always looking for them. And I met an artist recently at a show I was selling artwork at and she posted on her Instagram that she was organizing an art show and that she was looking for people to play at the show or DJ. So I read play or DJ, and I misread play as display. Mm -hmm. So I sent her a message (laughs) recommending a couple of DJs that I know And then I said, and me, I would like to, and she messaged me and was like, okay, I reached out to those musicians. And did you want to play as well? I didn't know that you were a musician. And I, you know, embarrassed. I was like, no, I misread that. (laughs) I do not (laughs) want to play. I thought it said display. And she was like, Oh, well you can do that too. (laughs) So that one kind of just happened by accident, but it was a happy accident as Bob Ross would say. And, um, What I'm looking for when I do those, um, I'm not really looking to like just sell art because I, again, I don't don't really like selling my original pieces that much until I'm like ready to. But it's that human connection, like just being in a room full of other artists and you don't even have to be like-minded people, but there's always respectful and intelligent discussion of about the art world and local art and it's just a wonderful time for connection i i really thrive on like good human conversation i don't want to talk about the weather i i would like to know like what are what are your political views what is your religion what is what's your trauma (laughs) that and and all of those conversations happen naturally at an art show it's not it's not something weird because art can provoke a political conversation or an upsetting conversation or a like a really deep solid conversation and it doesn't feel forced so that's what I'm always looking for when I go into an art show. So if you see me at an art show, don't talk to me unless you, <laughs> unless you want to like <laughs> to really get into it. You got to set aside at least, you know, 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, so clearly you're very into connection, like you literally just said, but also throughout the podcast and in this interview, you've been talking about how it was your dad and your parents who helped keep you in art. You work with your sister, uh, you learn from your friends, like you're very community oriented, it seems. You're even a teacher, which is like truly the centerpiece of community. So I oh, want to know, how do you foster creative community in your own life? And, and what do you do to show for other people in that way?
1: Mm. So my mother has taught me how to be uplifting and supportive to everyone. Um, and that is is huge for me when it comes to like the local community. It starts with your friends. It starts with being supportive of your friend's hobby, of your friend's music, of your friend's art. Um, and when when they feel good, they can pass that along to someone else because everyone needs support, everyone needs validation. Um, so, when I go to like a, a market where I'm vending art, it is so important to go talk to the other vendors. Go look at at what they're selling and ask questions. Because, you know, maybe they don't sell anything that day, but they had someone come up who was genuinely interested in what they do and they got to talk about it. Cause mm-hmm. everybody wants to talk about what they do and what like what brings them joy. So, I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is being supportive of your community because it starts small and it spreads out.
0: Hmm. Hmm. And another question that I had about sort of connection and things like that is, do you have any other local artists uh, or artists from Lakeland or whoever, who you would like to take a moment to shout out at this moment so that other people can find you and so
1: on. Gosh, yes. I I will go on for a long time. Um, (laughs) So, all right, let's see. For local artists, I am going to shout out my friend Julia Patrick. Georgia Lynn Dean is another one. Gabby's Art Gallery. We have let's see Gianna Santucci. I think she's Orlando based, but Oh my gosh, if you like realism, let's see. Um, I have like a huge like musicians community here too. We have like Deke beats. We have, um, my sister Emily Jones and the bands (laughs) that she she's in, um, clang rover, um, uh, another friend of mine, Rachel, who's in Bukoda. Oh, man. Eric Collins from Mr. ENC, who shout out to him. He just booked Furnace Fest in Birmingham, Orlando um, in September. Birmingham, Orlando, I said. Oh, yes, whatever. I noticed, but I, <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Don't let me make a fool of myself like that. <laughs> my gosh and this isn't technically like um I wouldn't say art specifically but within our community um we have like Stephanie Gregg who runs Buena Market which is an extremely um diverse market where you'll find like poets my my friend Diana from Orange Blossom's poems um you've got um uh, Andrew from 1692 Coffee. It's things like like that um, that really come back to our community and helping out artists because they're giving us a place to go. Um, like I used to, I was teaching art and then I was waiting tables on the weekend because I I couldn't I couldn't make enough money selling art um, to do that. And then Stephanie Gregg comes along with something like Buena Market. Um, and I was able to quit my second job because I was selling artwork at at these markets and actually making enough money to support myself and more. And since I started doing that, I, like this month, I have three, three markets that I've done. I've done a live painting at the Lakeland LoFi event hosted by... Um, deep beats, which is called Park Chill. Uh, I have an art show at the end of the month, and I quite possibly have another art show on that same day on the 27th hosted by Ooh. the Lake Wales Art Council. Like, I, I feel like I I'm doing it. (laughs) Really? Like, actually doing it. And it's because I've gotten support from these other artists, from these musicians who have asked me to do their album artwork, from these people running markets, from these people hosting concerts. Like, it all comes back. And, you know, that's because I introduced myself and complimented what they were doing. They give it back to me. So, I mean, I'm going to bring it back to community again, but it's, it is so big to support the people around you um, because that's, that's the best way to build them up and help them be successful.
0: All right. Well, Sarah, we are coming to the end of the interview We're at our final question. You, like you said, you're really doing it. Uh, you have all these art galleries, but beyond that, you're building a community of artists and like-minded people, and you're really building these, these bonds, which may very well last lifetimes you're sowing back into the um, artistic minds of the future and you're giving them these, these tools and talents and uh, opportunities to express themselves and become fuller people in that way. Uh, You really are doing it. So I want to know how will you know when you've made it?
1: Mm. Well, to kind of go back to what I was saying, like, I feel like I've made it because I've found that happy median um, between like making art for work and making art for other people. So right now I'm at the point where I'm making art for, for myself and for other people. I'm, I'm not going to make it for work. I'm not going to do it for money. I'm going to do it for my community and for people's mental health and for opening up discussions and having hard conversations. And, um, yeah i think i think i'm there i'm i'm happy with what i'm doing whatever happy means um but i think i'm there i made it all right well
0: kudos you made it can you tell the, can you tell the people where they can find you
1: yes um my website is sarah dot com um my instagram is sarah period savannah period jones um sarah. And those are the two. Don't try to find me on Facebook. It's not there.
0: And you have just finished listening to episode 205 of On Their Way. On Their Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The theme was composed by Bajo Alvarado, and the logo was created by Marco Koy. Want to hear something neat? I'm gonna assume you said yes, but I can't actually hear you, let's just roll with the punches. You can listen to an extended interview of this interview, nope, I said that all wrong. You can listen to an extended version of this interview on our Patreon. Cool thing about Patreon is that your monthly subscription helps us make content and you get cool extras. To go join, head over to our website, click Patreon in the navigation bar and boom. You can also help support us by following us on Twitter and Instagram and telling your friends about us. You can also swing by our store on our website and pick up some Fly WGC merch. It all goes right back into making content you like. Alrighty, as always, I appreciate you and remember to take care of yourselves and each other.